There was a pastoral resident named Dustin Crow, our first pastoral resident here at North Indy. He then became a staff member. Now he's a pastor at our first church plant. It was called College Park Fishers. Now it's called Pennington Park Church. Well, Dustin has written a new book, his first book, um, and it's really, really good. It's called The Grumbler's Guide to Giving Thanks. It's a great title. And in that book, he says this, and I really resonate with this. People are cranky today. Can I get an amen with that? Amen. Maybe I'm cranky today, right? No, don't say that. Uh, Turn on the TV or scan social media, and you'll encounter a choir of voices fighting, disputing, criticizing, complaining. It seems like people look for something to be negative about. Cynicism and pessimism abound. Jealousy and entitlement tempt us daily. These sins have always existed, but it feels like they permeate life today. In a fallen world and in sinful hearts, grumbling is common. I do it, you do it. I groan quicker than I give thanks. I ask God why more than I tell him thanks. But I don't want to stay this way. I know growing in gratitude is a better alternative for both me and those around me. Man, I resonate with that. And our text today is going to help us take some steps toward that reality of gratitude. And the fact of the matter is, is it's much easier to complain when you're in pain. Last week I suggested to you that pain creates blame and that underneath our temptations are some desires that sometimes we can blame God for our temptations instead of taking a close look at ourselves. I suggested to you last week that there are four things that we should think about as it relates to those desires, asking ourselves first, am I aware of how temptation happens? Secondly, what is it that I really want? Third, do I really know that God can help me? And fourth, am I taking steps to act in faith? So that was last week about temptation and how pain can create blame. I wanna suggest to you today that pain also can create something else, which it also can rob you from recognizing the good gifts of God. So. Pain can not only create blame, but pain can also cause you to complain. It can cause you to focus on that which you don't have. And our text today essentially helps us with this exhortation. Church, don't miss God's good gifts. In the midst of a hard season, and I don't know what's happened in your life in the last week, what's taken place in your sort of sphere of influence or certainly know what's happening around the country and for that matter around the world, it could be easy to focus on all that is wrong and there's a lot wrong in the world. And yet James wants to give Christians three important reminders of how to think about the good gifts that God has given when we might be tempted to focus on everything else but the good grace of God. So today is a way to encourage you, to try and help you think in a manner that that fits with a biblical vision of gratitude. Let's unpack this text. Last week was the put off. Don't blame God. This text is focus and celebrate on God's good gifts. So three reminders. Number one, God's gifts can be missed. Number one, God's gifts can be missed. In other words, it's possible for you on a regular basis to miss 
the very goodness of what God has done for you. Now, interestingly, James once again gives a strong command. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. There's a pattern in the book of James where he regularly issues these commands and then informs us as to why he is making them. When he says, do not be deceived, it's an important word for us to wrestle with. That word means that which is not true. So, It means to be misled and then to pursue a course of action that isn't right. Now, now why is James talking about the issue of deception? Well, the issue of deception is designed to be a bridge from the section on temptation to now the section on good gifts. And what James wants us to realize is there is a tipping point that happens or a change of mindset that can and should take place when you understand that it's possible that I could be so focused on what's wrong in the world that I miss what's really good. And James says that's actually a pattern of deception, of wrongly assessing the world in a way that doesn't fit with what God has truly done and for that matter, who he is. Now the Bible warns us over and over about the problem of deception. Just, just knowing that it's possible is helpful. First John 1 John 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Or 2 Timothy 3, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So James here is trying to lovingly, that's why he uses the term beloved brothers, help us to realize that it's possible for you to see life and to not see it correctly. He cautions us that suffering and hardship can cause cause us to draw the wrong conclusions. You can have a hard situation that you're dealing with and rather than celebrating the goodness of God that's happening all around you, you can just simply narrow your focus on what's wrong and begin, in effect, to not only blame God but to be angry with him and forget about all the good things that God really is doing. I'm sure you've had this happen before in maybe an argument with a friend or maybe a sibling or maybe a spouse or a parent where you're in the midst of kind of a conversation and it's getting, getting elevated to the point of an argument and you kind of have to call a time out and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm on your side here. Like, I'm not the enemy. Like, this is getting escalated. I'm, I'm actually trying to help you. And in the middle of that moment, we know that that person is on our side, but because of the pain, because of the frustration, we act in a way that treats them differently than really even who they are. James is trying to help us understand that that's the pattern of human beings. In fact, when you read the Old Testament, you'll see this pattern over and over and over. For example, in Exodus chapter 15 and 16, the Israelites grumble against Moses. In fact, they grumble against him over and over and over. And you know, one of the things that's been strangely helpful about this season that we're in, I actually have more compassion for the Israelites about their grumbling now. I do, just a little bit more. The Israelites, they, they're delivered out of Egypt. God rescues them out of slavery. They, they, they see the 10 plagues. God uses the gods of Egypt and turns them against that nation. They're standing at the brink of the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. They walk through. They see all of these miracles. And then three days later, they're complaining because they don't have water. 
They go to a place called Elam where eventually they're given refreshment. And then they move on just a few more days and they begin to grumble again, saying terrible things. For instance, listen to what they say in Exodus 16. They say to Moses, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So the idea is they're they're saying terrible things, things that simply aren't true, because the pain and the pressure of their lives is leading them to grumble. The Apostle Paul said this to the church at Corinth regarding these kind of examples in the Old Testament. He said this, we must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did when they were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So the idea is that people who live in our day and age, as we read the New Testament and as we read the Old, should read it through the lens of this could be me. This is what I'm like. So James is addressing here the pattern of self-deception, the deception where we don't see the good gifts of God. So I, I thought to myself, How does this happen? How has this happened in my life? How do I see this happening in the lives of people, this this pattern of missing the good gifts of God by self-deception? Let me give you a little chart with four suggestions. I'm sure there's a bunch more, but here's here's four things that I see that sort of facilitate this self-deception. And the first is forgetfulness. We simply stop rehearsing what God has done. Part of the value of Sunday morning is reminding us what is true. Or secondly, frustration, where we're grieving what is missing or how often something has been happening and the frustration level rises and we end up giving in to this lack of gratitude that expresses itself through self-deception. Or focus, we fixate on what is wrong or fixate on the negative. Or fourth, friends, we gather with those who make our deception worse. We hang out with people who complain together. You know, grumblers travel in packs. Come on, it's no fun to grumble by yourself. That just makes you look like you got something going wrong upstairs. You're walking around the neighborhood talking to yourself, grumbling, that doesn't work. You need people for grumbling to be effective and then it collects other people and before you know it, you got a whole pack of grumblers. That's the way that human beings are. It's how we roll. I wanna encourage you to think about the fact that at the core of that is not seeing the good grace of God. So James just wants us to know that pressure can create this scenario where we just miss the good gifts of God. So can I ask you, what are the gifts of God this week that you missed? What are the things even this morning that God has been kind to you with? The things that you take for granted? I mean, you woke up this morning. Your heart beat, I don't know, how many thousands of times over the night, and here you are, alive, generally happy. (laughs) Glad to be in church, I trust. And yet, think of all of the good grace in this last week that you've received and maybe not taken a moment to think about, to celebrate, and to say, God, thank you. Can I just encourage you and exhort you not to be the kind of person who only celebrates something or is thoughtful about how important it is when it's gone? Not to be the kind of person who lives with the regret of having a life filled with a lack of gratitude? 
You know, there's going to be a, a time when this season is over. We're going to look back on this time in our lives, and I hope that for many of you, you'll be able to say, I did my best to celebrate the goodness of God in a really hard time, because I'd hate for the story to be, I just grumbled my way through three years, or uh, three years, uh, how about uh, a year, let's do that, okay, sorry. Some of you just started grumbling, three years, I can't do that, all right? I, I got no information, no sources, I just, it just came out, all right, a little test, accidental, okay? All right, number two, let's move on quickly. Number two, all right, God's good gifts, they point us to him. So they're designed to be a conduit that says something amazing about him. Notice what James says, verse 17, every good and every perfect gift. James wants us to look around and realize, look, every good gift. When you walk outside today and see Hope it's gonna be sunny today, it's supposed to be a nice day, and you see the blue sky and the changing colors and the trees. Can you just be reminded that there's a good God that paints the forest? Can you just be reminded that if you lay down this afternoon and take a nap, get to pull up your covers in your cozy little blanket or have a really good cup of coffee or watch some football team lose today? I mean, whatever it is that you're gonna to do to realize that these are all little foretastes, little expressions of how God is so good. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. The idea is that these gifts that we receive here are sent from God and they're, they're coming to us and they're, they're coming to us as a way to direct our attention back to God. So these gifts are meant to be conduits of our enjoyment of God's glory. They're meant to be the things that make us marvel about how amazing and gracious and good God is. Some months ago, we had a sermon series on gratitude. You may remember me saying this. When you see grace, say thanks. Can I just remind you, that's, that wasn't just true like in November of last year. That's true like right now. You may need to do something this week to facilitate a grateful heart. One of our assistant pastors was telling us that this last week or so, he took a trip into the woods and just expressed how just the grace of creation was helpful for his soul. I asked him to give me just a short quote on that experience. He said this, nature quiets my soul and does a soft reset on my perspective. It breaks my normal busy cycle and slows me down, helping me see joy. It's as if I walk into the woods, throw busyness, frustration, and negativity into the fire and walk out refreshed, reset, and joyful. There's something about experiencing the goodness of God's gifts and being reminded that they're meant to send a message about how kind and loving and good he is. Now the text also says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So Father of lights means he's the Father, notice that word, not just the creator, but the Father, the caretaker of lights, so sun, moon, and stars. It may be that James has in mind this text in Isaiah 40, where we began our service today, where God says this through the prophet Isaiah, to whom will you then compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. 
Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. It's talking about the stars. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. So he says, so why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard the Lord, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. And even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not faint why is that in the bible because there are moments when we feel weary there are moments when we're just flat out exhausted when we wonder how how is this good and in those moments we need to be reminded that god's good gifts and there are many they're they're designed to point us to him and to reconnect us with important truths that lie underneath all of our lives, one of which is that God never changes. He says, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The idea is this, while there are good things in creation, creation is constantly in motion. Sunrise, sunset, tide goes in, tide goes out, seasons change, there's birth, there's death, and part of the tension of living in the world is this constant state of change. Boy, if you like change, this is a great time to be alive. If change does not make you comfortable, in fact, let me just see your hands. How many of you are like, I, I just, I don't like change. Change is hard on me, let's see your hands, yeah. So I pray for all of us who are in that camp, right? That's hard. And so what this text is saying is in the mix of all of that change, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. James' point, James' point here is about the character of God And more than a theology lesson, it's a reminder about something that's really important. And there's probably a few of you who just need to hear this. You can trust the Lord. He's faithful. His ways are always good. It's just a matter of time until you see what he's doing. And in the midst of hardship and difficulty, James is telling these people, remember the character and the goodness of the God who sends down every good and perfect gift. So can I just remind you to look around you because there's probably lots of good gifts that you haven't seen. For whatever reason, those gifts, you've not celebrated the fact that God has sent them, you've not sort of gloried and reveled in the fact that they're to tell you something about God. James wants us to know not only that we could miss the gifts, we could be deceived, but also secondly, that God's gifts point to him. But third, he wants us to see that God's gifts are grounded in redemption. So he's going to take us back to the foundation of what it means to be a Christian, which if you're a follower of Jesus, this will not only make sense, but it's another moment for you to be reminded about what's underneath your life. And if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I wanna help you understand how the Bible argues for Christians making it through hardship by virtue of their relationship with Jesus. Now I wanna be clear on the outset, Christians don't do this perfectly. 
Like, in fact, if you were to, I'd ask you Christians, if you were to give us a grade right now about how we're doing with joyful, steadfast endurance, what grade would you give each other? I don't know if we're passing or not. God's gonna help us continue to follow faithfully, but it's, this is hard. And yet underneath our lives are some important truths that we need to be reminded about, which is what James does here in verse 18. He says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. What's he talking about there? He's talking about regeneration. That's a big theological word. More commonly, it's referred to as being born again. To be born again means that God sought you. He came after you. And a miracle happened in your heart such that you heard the good news of the Bible, which is that God is holy and you're not. And that's surprisingly good news to hear because you need to know it. The Bible tells us that God is the creator of the universe. He's made everything. He sets the standards of what's right and wrong. And the Bible tells us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That's, that's the problem. But the good news of the Bible is that Jesus comes into the world he dies on the cross in order for God to take his death and apply it to those who would by faith put their trust in Jesus. And when they put their faith and trust in Jesus, all of their sins are not only covered, but they're welcomed into God's family and they are born again. They're made new from the inside out. God takes what is broken and renews it. And so those who put their faith in Christ, those who trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, they are born again, and verse 18 says that God does this by his own will, so God graciously pursues people. It's a miracle, and every Christian could tell you a story. Yeah, God was pursuing me, like I was in a Sunday service, and I heard a truth, and it struck me differently. I had never heard it that way before. That's what it means for God to pursue them. It says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Why? That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We should be a kind of first fruits. What does this mean? It means that when people are converted, God demonstrates the change that's going to happen within them that eventually is going to happen in the entire created order. The idea is you think it's miraculous that you have changed because of a relationship with Jesus. Just wait till you see what happens when the entire creation changes and Jesus restores what is broken. Imagine a world with no sin, no death, no pain, no tears, no sorrow, no disagreements. That Jesus reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords, and that day, friends, is coming, and the first fruits of that are individual transformations where Jesus, not yet transforming the whole world, he transforms the little world inside your soul. And that is the first fruits of what is yet to come. So when I think of first fruits, we don't really use that language, but here's what I do think of. I think of when my wife makes chocolate chip cookies. This is the Vrogop translation. He, he brought us forth to be a, um, we'll put it this way, a cookie dough sampling of what is yet to come. Because I love when my wife, my wife makes chocolate chip cookies. And by the way, she makes like the best cookies ever. In fact, the governor of the state of Indiana agrees with that. Let me tell you why. We were at Brown County. We were watching the sunset all by ourselves. All of a sudden I turned around and the governor was standing right next to us. 
So I took my cookies that I had, we have a little picnic, went to offer them to his security guards first, wise move, right? And, uh, and they were like, no, sir, we can't eat those. You know, I was like, okay, guess you're on duty and there's nothing in them, you know, just talk to them, you know, whatever. And like, no, and I offered it to the governor and he was like, yeah, thanks. So, he's, we're, so we're enjoying a sunset and chocolate chip cookie. And he said, these are the best cookies I've ever had. And I said, I know, that woman right over there made them. She's my wife, she's amazing, right? So governor sanctioned chocolate chip cookies. That's a little sidebar. So anyway, so um, these, these, these cookies are all awesome, but not just when they're baked. They're awesome when the dough is being made. And I, I can't help myself. Like that dough is there. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Take a spoon, dip that in there. Now, I know it's probably not healthy. Let me rephrase that. I know it's not healthy. And I know I probably have bacteria in my gut from it. But you know what? That bacteria's got to come from somewhere. So it's going to come from somewhere. It might as well be cookie dough, but those cookie doughs, samplings, are a foretaste of what is yet to come. It's a little sampling of a much bigger reality. And what James is saying is that your individual conversion is a first fruit, it's a sampling of the kind of transformation that God is going to bring. It's a little sample of his goodness that then is multiplied by virtue of all who put their faith in Christ and by the way in which Jesus one day will rule and reign on the earth. So if, if you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, can I just appeal to you, friend, that underneath your life are important things to consider. Like, do you believe God is real? Do you know that you're a sinner? So what do you do about that? And the Bible says when Christ becomes your Savior and Lord, he begins a transforming work that takes over and begins to get its way into all sorts of areas of your life such that you see the imprint of God's grace all throughout your life. Not perfectly, but in a way that is miraculous. I mean, I don't know where I would be today if it wasn't for Jesus. I don't know how I would do marriage or parenting or handle my money or think about sexuality or work and ethics. Like my whole life has been transformed by Jesus. I'm still waiting for other areas of my life to be fully transformed. I'm not perfect. No one is. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus has come and done something miraculous in my heart and life. And that's going to happen on a global universal scale. And that's a testimony of God's goodness. He's a good, good father. He does good things. And when I'm struggling to see the goodness of God, I just need to be reminded of how good he's been to me in saving me from myself. So what does James do here? He tries to encourage us with the way in which thinking about the good gifts can actually help people when they're walking through difficulties, hardship, and even some level of persecution. So when difficulties come, we're not to blame God and we're also to be careful that we don't complain. And so can I ask you to think through, how's your thankfulness right now? What, what things should you be grateful for that you're not? You know, don't you, that one person in a home can create a grumbling spirit really quickly? You can begin to train your kids that it's okay to grumble by virtue of how often you grumble. They actually hear what you're saying and they learn that behavior. Grumblers beget grumblers beget grumblers beget grumblers. And also people who are thankful do the same thing, but in the other way. And so one of the things I want you to do today is to take an action step in light of the time in the word. And I want you to find that sticky note that I can't find. 
Oh, here it is. And what I, want, what I want you to do is to take that sticky note out, and we're just going to give you a few moments before we sing together. We're going to sing, God is so good. Here's what I want you to do. I want you just to list out four or five things that you should be thankful for right now. Things that maybe you've forgotten. Maybe this sermon hopefully was a little helpful for you and just causing you to rethink about the things that you should be thankful for and what you should express gratitude to God for. And can I just give you an assignment? Is to take a sticky note like this and do this for the next three or four days and just see how it helps your soul to be reminded of the record of God's goodness. Because I'm telling you, God's been far better to you than probably what you even realize right now. And by rehearsing the goodness of God, it helps not only to remind us, but also to strengthen our faith. So take a few moments, write down four or five things about the goodness of God, realizing that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And then we're gonna sing together and give testimony through our song that God really is good all the time.